Hey Playwright, I'm Tori Rice. And I'm Mabel Reynoso. And welcome to Hey Playwright. A podcast about playwriting and life. Hey Tori. Hey Mabel. You were just pointing at me. Why were you just pointing at me? Oh, were you telling me to go? Yeah, I oh. wanted you to go first. Okay, I went first. What's up, Tori? Uh, um, so- I know why. I know why you're frazzled. Yeah. You know why? Oh. <laughs> you you are frazzled because it is April first. It and is. And it is officially the start, the start of the end. The, it is the it is the beginning of the end. Yes. It is the beginning of the end of play. The Dramatists Guild promotes end of play, which is a gentle invitation, dare I say push, for writers to work and complete a play in the month of April. So starting on April 1st, starting on April 1st, writers have made a commitment to finish a play by the end of the month. And so Mabel and I have taken that challenge along with uh, a lot of our playwright friends and peers. Some of them have even been on this podcast and we are all in it together. It's a nice community. It's an opportunity to connect with other writers and, you know, kind of lift each other up. I'm going to give a special shout out to the, uh, the San Diego chapter of the Dramatist Guild. What's up? What's up to the San Diego peeps? <laughs> Woohoo! And if you are a Dramatist Guild member, I suggest you go and sign up for Into Play and jump into this body of water with us and Yay. keep your head above water treading. <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> Yay! The water is lukewarm. That's not true. It's it's freezing. It's it's the water's freezing. Yeah. But, but we'll did you do pages it. today? I did pages today. I See? did. I was worried because I discovered that there is a reality show on Netflix about uh, a motley cast of characters hanging out in Mexico City. And I was like, hmm, write some pages or binge watch that show. And I'll have you know that I forced myself to write some pages and i wrote up until up until we had to record so i didn't even think about that show but now that it's on my mind again i'm probably not going to go back and write more pages i'm probably going to go watch the show well i think that's okay to give your brain a break i agree yeah you you did you did some of the a hard work you dog paddled today (laughs) (laughs) in that body of water we've had some really great conversations with people i'm loving this book club situation yes Uh, it's it's pretty pretty outstanding we have some really exciting shows coming up i'm actually going to be co-hosting a book club meeting with the san diego rep partnering up with Playwrights Project, who is plugging their event that's happening uh, later this month. It's the Beyond Prison Walls performances happening April 22nd, 24th. Uh, Cecilia Kuma of Playwrights Project was on here a few weeks ago talking about that. So really excited about that. But for the book club for the San Diego Rep, we are going to be 
talking about the 24-hour plays viral monologues, new monologues created during the coronavirus pandemic. And why is that cool, Tori? That is cool because our next guest has a monologue that is a part of that collection. Ah, I am so excited to introduce our guest today. Our guest today is Christopher Diaz. He is a playwright, librettist, screenwriter, and educator. His play, The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in Drama. His adaptation of the Disney film Hercules premiered in Central Park in the summer of 2019 as part of the Joseph Papp Public Theater Public Works program with a cast of nearly 200. Other full-length titles include Welcome to Arroyos, Reggie Hoops, and The Unfortunates. As a screenwriter, Christopher has developed original TV pilots for HBO and FX, written for the first season of Netflix's Glow, and adapted the musical Rent for Fox. Christopher holds a BA and an MFA from New York University and a second MFA from Brooklyn College's Performing Arts Management Program. He teaches playwriting at NYU. He is alumnus of New Dramatists and a member of its board of directors, a member of the Dramatists Guild Council, and a member of the Writers Guild of America East. Christopher Diaz, we are over the moon to have you today. I feel like we need one of those horns, you know. <laughs> the air horn? The air horn, like, air let us horn. begin. <laughs> I was thinking that because so many of your plays and other writing is centered around sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. I'm, I'm, the stuff I'm working on right now is around sports. It's, it's sort of what I grew up with. So, like, tend to write about it. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about what you grew up with because yeah. how how did you get into theater? I grew up watching like sports, baseball mostly, uh, and professional wrestling. Professional wrestling was like the thing that I did. I was like obsessed with it all the time. And um, but at the same time, my mom, we grew up outside of um, New York City, we were in Westchester County, and so my mom was always into theater. So she took me to see like youth theater growing up and all that kind of stuff. And then as I got into, I would say, high school, um, I started paying a little bit more attention to it. And then I got, I guess because I had, it had always sort of floated around the periphery, I was between like baseball season and basketball season one year, literally, like we had like a few weeks off and I didn't have anything to do. So I went up to the high school and they were doing auditions and like, it just seemed like a thing that was potentially logical to me because like I had always seen it. I didn't know anything about it. I had never acted. I had never like really considered it. And I auditioned and later found out that it was one of those auditions where like, if you audition, you get in. So <laughs> I had no, you know, I had no idea. And then, um, and it, it was, there was a musical part and there were scenes and I didn't know the difference. I, like, I just, I had, I had no clue. And um and I got cast in a scene from Neil Simon's Plaza Suite. I had, I said six words in the whole thing. And then, um, but I got in as like either a freshman or a sophomore, I don't remember. And, um, and then like, <clears throat> I half jokingly say this, but it's probably at the time was true. I realized that like there were girls there and it was like, I could do sports, which I wasn't very good at and tr in an attempt to try to meet girls but it wouldn't actually happen because I was like the 12th man on the baseball team. So then I was like, oh, or I could just go hang out with, <laughs> with the <laughs> girls anyway. 
And then I kind of realized I liked it. Wow. So yeah. you started as an actor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yes, I started as an actor in that like high school theater kind of acting way. And sure. no, like just there are like different kinds of worlds. I mean, we did um, what Artful Dodger, Oliver. And like, I still don't know the whole story of Oliver. I played the Artful Dodger and I still actually don't know the whole story of that show. Cause it was the days where like, it was like the Tans Whip Mark, you got like a little black book that mm -hmm. had your sides only. And I didn't know like, oh, pay attention to the whole show and know what's going on. I was like, I just have to say these words. So yes, I did, I acted sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but then when did you start writing for the theater? So then I go to college. I went to NYU. Um, I went to the Gallatin School, which is like a little bit of everything. Like you can come in and you can study all a whole bunch of different things. And I thought I was going to go in and study acting and psychology because I was like, oh, well, psychology will help me be an actor and also be like the fallback if I fail. And then I got there within like the first few days and realized that like, the people who were studying acting at NYU were very serious and very experienced and had headshots and like understood about going on auditions. And I was like, I have no interest in doing any of that stuff. So I bailed out pretty quickly. I mean, I wasn't in a, I wasn't in an acting conservatory. I wasn't like pursuing it. So I was able to back out of it a little. And then because of the program I was in, you could take classes across the board so i took like an acting class a directing class i took a stagecraft class and like how to build sets um i took a bunch of those different classes and then i took a writing class the first writing class i had a teacher who was really nice to me and so it encouraged me and then the second writing class i had a teacher who was like yeah all right it's fine like your work is fine like what are you actually trying to do and i got into a huge fight with him <laughs> and um and I went home and I was like, I'll show him. He wants me to write things with like subtext in them. And I'm not, I don't care about that. And I was like, I, I was like, I can do it, but I don't want to. So I went home and I was like, I'll show him that I can do it. And then I wrote something that was like all subtext. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is what writing actually is. Like I wasn't actually doing it. Um, and I started to learn. And then from there, uh, I took another class, uh, a screenwriting class. I wrote a movie sort of. And then I used that movie to apply to graduate school and um, and got in. There's much more to the story, but that's that's basically the path. And then in, in graduate school, you were in the dramatic writing program at NYU. And so that was really where you committed to this life of uh, the writer's <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, I mean, like it, it, it so much of, of my career is just based on like not exactly knowing what I was getting into and just sort of jumping in. And so like, I think that I didn't exactly understand how big of a commitment going to graduate school for writing was. I mean, like it's, it was two years of spending a lot of money and really wrapping your head around what this, this job looks like and what this business looks like. And, um, you know, I, I think I always still thought like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, be more of like an administrator or maybe I'll move into some other stuff. Um, but after the two years, it actually took me three years to finish. Um, after that time, I was all the way in. It took me three years because I did the first year and then I, I was like burnt out. I, um, I really, it didn't, it wasn't working for me. I didn't understand what I was trying to do. It's that first year of graduate school where you have to like relearn all the basics or you're learning, you're being taught a particular way. And I was, I was bucking against that. And um, so I, I, I burnt out and I took a year off. And a lot of other stuff happens in the year off, 
Um, I went to go work at the public theater first as an intern. Then uh, I did press for Joe's pub for a year. Um, and then, um, and the plan was always that I was going to come back and finish up. There's more to that story too, but, um, but then my second day of my second year of graduate school turns out to be nine 11. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, a month and a half after that, um, they call the public theater calls all the, everybody who works at the public theater into the conference room and basically says, if you run a department, you still have a job. If you're an intern, you still have a job. Everybody in the middle is laid off because we're completely out of money. And so because of that, I went back and I went back as an intern, even though I had worked there full time. And that was like super eye opening too. So I mentioned it just to say like, there's, you know, a, a bunch of stuff happens in like 1999 to 2002 that sort of locks me in. I just gave away my my age, but you know, whatever. <laughs> We're past that point. Yeah. So so a lot, a lot goes on at that point. <laughs> wow. Wow. Of the the theater makers that I follow, you are one of the most active about keeping theater alive during this time when when it the the business is really struggling. And um obviously you have a lot, you know, this is something that you're passionate about and um you've made a life in theater but um but you also have experienced this before right because that's what they say right yeah. that the, the, you went through it you've gone through this probably it wasn't as severe during 9-11 as it is now right how is it different now how is it different yeah. today it was you know so the 9-11 thing was weird obviously like weirdly focused right it was new york city it was downtown new york city that was shut down like completely shut down for for a while um, and the fear was, you know, how are we going to get people back into, um, into the space because they're afraid that, you know, something, you know, this could be a target. I mean, Times Square was considered to be such a major target right after all of that. Um, obviously, like it ended quickly. It was a one day event that then had these long tentacles afterwards. And it was the financial stuff. When, when, when COVID hit in March, that was immediately what I started saying to, to, friends was like i i remember that day um or what i heard about that day at the public when all my friends got let go um and it wasn't directly because of the the 9-11 attacks it was because of what happened to the stock market afterwards it was because of what happened to all the people who were used to funding these organizations were now funding search and rescue operations or we're now funding hospitals or we're now funding you know new york city downtown new york city rebuilding period and um one of the things that was really clear to me was and i think it's still really clear is that the long tentacles of this are basically you know the 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 financial recovery is going to take a long time and we're still going to lose a bunch of theaters like well, a bunch a bunch of theaters have made it through but when we get back to to opening up none of these theaters can run at 40% capacity. And well, most of these theaters can't run at 80% capacity. And now they're going to be asked to run at 40% or 50% or 60%. So there's this whole financial sort of, you know, um, set of dominoes that's still going to fall. <clears throat> and even when we get back into theaters, hopefully in the next few months, it doesn't, it doesn't change right there. So that part of it feels, you know, both, both really, you know, connected and, and not connected. But the big difference is like, you know, it's this is every theater. This is every theater country in the United States, and most of the theater companies in the world have to shut down and are still going to be shut down because even when things clear up, 
we're the last ones to come back. Like we, we have to convince people to come be in an old crappy building with bad ventilation and sit in the dark next to each other because that's what the unique thing that we make is like, you know, we do a lot of zoom theater. We do a lot of stuff online and it's like, it's great, but it's not being in the same room as other people and being in the same room as other people is super dangerous right now. I will say though, I saw the elaborate entrance of Chad Deity as a zoom play and it it was fantastic, but it was not the same as sitting in a space. I've watched a lot of Zoom theater mm -hmm. uh, since since um, and I have to say, Chris, that of all of the things that I've seen, my two favorite pieces that I've seen are the elaborate entrance of Chad Deity and football, 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 football. <laughs> okay. Those, I'm so sad yes. that I didn't get to see football, football, football. You, you should Cabell be sad because it was, it I died. It was so good. But I have to talk a little bit more about the elaborate entrance of Chad Deity because I first saw this show in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, little man hadn't been born yet and he just had a birthday, right? So he was, he's, so he's nine. So it was, and, and Joanne was pregnant at the time. That was where we, you were the first, you and, and John were the first people that we told. Yeah. About, we told you about. we told you that night <laughs> yes 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 and um and so i got to see it in its full magical amazing whoa like just a beautiful where Geffen? the geffen Geffen's. yes Geffen's. i was Geffen's. i kept Geffen's. wanting to say i kept I'm, i i think i was looking at you mabel and i kept wanting to say uh the old globe the old globe but that was a different show that was arroyos yeah yeah <laughs> that was in San Diego. <laughs> yeah um so yeah so we saw we saw it at the geffen and um and you know john is not a theater person i can't even get him to go to my shows um but uh but he just loved it so much but i have to say chris seeing it on zoom and you know the world was different back then it was a different just everything was different and i don't recall like i was crying when i saw it on zoom i mean just mm. just just mace like, like i don't know it, it the words hit me differently this time around and you know i i was just bawling i did not bawl the first time around i think i may have gotten emotional but full on there were there were tears so it was really it was really powerful to watch it again and um and in a, in a different world i mean we just well, live in a different world now do you think do you think mabel it's because you do you feel when you are in a theater space with people around you that you are less likely to allow yourself to be that vulnerable do you feel like it was that you felt like you could have that you know because <laughs> Because I'm not, a, I'm, I am not afraid to cry in the theater next to people. That that's a good point, but also I think thematically, you know what what he talks about and just the 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 commercialization and just like I think it just hit. I, I'm a different person than I was, mm. you know, almost a decade ago. Yeah, I don't know. It just it just got me, and the, you know, and like my identity and culture and and as a commodity and being, you know, and just the world the world changed in in just not because of the pandemic. There's a lot of other stuff that's going on, and uh, and it just I don't know. It just got me really emotional. I think that play, um, which by the way, is one of the uh 25 right according to the new york times yeah, is it's, it's, it's 25 the worst. best american place it was number 25 it was number 25 i mean there, there is one of those things where they're like it's not really an order but i'm like you know it's an order and i we always take pride in being like we were the lowest ranked of the top ranked 
show, you know, sort of shows ever. No, but one of the things that's funny about that is, um, you know, obviously like for as an audience member, things have changed so much. Those guys have, you know, it's 10 years ago, you know, the leads, the two leads in the play, Desmond Borges and Usman Ali are, are 10 years older. They both, you know, between them, they have three kids now, um, you know, and there's a different connection to it and a different sense of like what happens when, and they've both been like very successful in Hollywood and also like running into a bunch of trouble out there and a bunch of issues and some of those similar things. So some of it, resonates differently and we found you know we found a few things that were cool like how do you use the camera and how do you get close and how do you back up and we stumbled into this thing desmond was recording it in his basement and just had this really cool space and ended up standing in a place where he had a lot of depth behind him so he was able to lean in and lean i'm doing it like people can see me but like lean closer and 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 then we found while we were rehearsing we were like stand up and just walk back just in this one moment. So there was one moment where he was able to stand way back and play to the crowd and you could see his whole body and interact. And it was just like, uh, maybe he's interacting with his space. We were like, Oh yeah, there, there are things you can do with this um, that we couldn't do, you know, in the same way. I mean, there's more stuff that we could have done in real life, but um, you know, there, there's a lot that you can do with the form. That's fun. Yeah, and for being a wrestling play where there's where there's wrestling, there's actual, you know, wrestling. I, I thought it was um, sorry, I told you, <laughs> I like know. I could not believe what you guys were able to accomplish with that. No, it's funny. It, it, the guy, our, our 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 stunt guy, wrestling guy, his name is Christian Litke, and he's part of the the cast. He's been part of the cast since way back when we started in Chicago. He he's so funny because he is like he plays a bad guy in the show and he is exactly that kind of person. He's like the most obnoxious, lovable, wonderful musclehead jerk in the world. Um, and he's just like the heart and soul of the show. But even while we were rehearsing, he doesn't say anything for the first act of the show. And I'm like, Christian, you don't have to come to all the rehearsals. He's like, no, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming. And he would just sort of hang out. And um, and then we got to his part and he would just be like, OK, I've got all the plans. I've got all the choreography laid out. We're like, choreography? What are you talking about? You're in different like parts of the world. He's like, no, I laid it out. This is how we're going to do it. And uh, he pulled off these like, you know, handful of moments that were really, you know, representational more than, than, than realistic, but like you can do it. And, and, and they were unexpected and, and can, you know, they worked. So it was a gift. It was really a gift. He's, he's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was incredible. I I hope there's a, a reprise so that other people can get the opportunity to enjoy it. It was pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's fun to hear. Thank you. I'm glad yeah. you guys got to see it. You know, I have to tell you, I, I didn't know a ton about you, but I knew your work. And I thought, well, I want to read some other plays. So I found Going Left, which, oh my goodness, what a <laughs> sweet play what a sweet play yeah. i i loved it but also i think it was the arroyos was on amazon um it was 154 dollars what <laughs> you know that i don't get 154 dollars <laughs> sure. and then uh, yeah and i went well, what was it like a golden plated my, I don't, it was like a, it was like a samuel french like you, you know just the, that's uh, weird kind of, that's yeah weird. amazing <laughs> amazing, amazing right? yeah so um well, don't 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 spend a, i mean well other people no, listening to this spend 154 dollars yeah, if you'd like it. i was gonna but. say well <laughs> i didn't 
I didn't get the opportunity to read the Royals. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, totally. I understand. Yeah, that's fun. It's cool. I'm glad that you brought up going left. I mean, that's, you know, one of the fun things during the pandemic, but even before is getting asked to do these like little quick, dirty shows for different, um, not dirty. It's very, it's the opposite of what going left is going left. is like one of the, <laughs> the nicest, uh, like you said, Swedish shows ever. Um, but you get assigned the opportunity to work for different, to write something for different groups of people. And this was a, writing something for Keen Teens high school program. And they were like, you know, we want something for, I forget, you know, whatever it was, 15 high school kids. Um, and um, those things are really fun because also because they give you quick deadlines mm. and they're, I don't, I, disposable is not the right word, but the stakes get so much lower. It's not like, oh my God, I have to do this and worry about the New York Times and worry about, you know, whatever else coming. Like I just, I'm going to write something for these people and I'm going to just take my, you know, first, first choice, best choice and dive all the way in. And um, it's so freeing and so much fun. And then I forget about them sometimes. And then like they get produced later on and you hear about it or you get the copy of it. And that one, that one I enjoy a lot. I haven't read it probably since I wrote it, but it's a ton of fun. Okay, so so yeah. you mentioned deadlines. So what is your process for writing? <laughs> um, now it's just chaos. I mean, it, it's different. Like it's very different. When I when I started out, I used to write obsessively, you know, one thing at a time as much as possible. The idea would get in my head and I'd be trying to kick it around for a long time. I wrote from like I usually would start writing at like eleven o'clock at night and stay up all night, stay up for days sometimes, just chasing it chasing it and chasing it um and a lot of that time not just being not being like active writing time being like procrastination and nonsense but um and um but that all changed obviously like that all changed i got married i got i had kids um you know i tried to do that for a while when 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 my oldest was a baby but it was like he's getting up at two and four and i can't start writing at 11 like so that all changed so you, you, it sort of organizes in the other thing that changed though in that process is that when after uh probably after deity um maybe if even after deity like in los angeles i started getting commissioned to do stuff and i started getting hired to do stuff specifically and so there's a lot less of the like let it float around in your head and figure out what it's going to be and make it sort of organic like there's a lot more parameter and a lot more chasing and following like what you have to turn in at a, at a given point um it's not ideal it's not artistically ideal. It doesn't, I don't think lead always to like the best work, although sometimes the parameters lead to, to really good work. Um, but anyway, you have to be a little bit more organized and a little more um, intentional, I guess. So uh, process wise though, what I, I kick it, I still kick it around for a long time. I do a lot of like voice memo stuff that I'm holding this up. Like you can see it. voice memo stuff. Now I'll walk around and like talk into my phone and just talk about like the big ideas, the generative ideas, conversations with myself. Um, I start a word document all the time and it always begins with like the, the date. And then I write, okay, so, and then I start thinking okay. about what my, what my thoughts are because you have to sort of organize out all of the idea of what the thing's going to be. Like it could be anything. So it's like you start figuring out what the thing could be. And then that usually leads into the process is, is generally about trying to find who it's about. So like you might be dancing through a bunch of different themes. I want to write about this idea. I want to write about this idea. But for me, it doesn't really become a real thing until I know who it's about, who the protagonist is, um, sometimes who some other characters are. But generally, I have to find, you know, it's about someone who wants something. 
and, and until I can find those, I can't really start writing the thing. Um, and I write it as much as possible in that kind of messy document and then start to transfer it into final draft and it becomes a whole other, you know, process at that point. But it's a lot of generation to try to find, you know, who's it about, what's the thing they want, what are the things that get in their way. Oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> it's simple. Yeah. I'm lucky it's super about. simple. We used to joke, I you know, I used to joke again with my oldest son. Um, that by the time he was like two and a half, we had like subjected him to the tyranny of Aristotelian storytelling structure because you would ask him to tell a story and every story is once upon a time, there was a blank who wanted blank, but blank. Like that's, that's how you go. When he was little, somehow every one of those stories still took a left turn. He'd be telling this really great complicated story. And then he would be like, and then Lightning McQueen shows up and I get in Lightning McQueen and I win the race. Like that was the end of every single story. We were like, that doesn't work. Um, like I said, it's, it's copyright infringement. Um, but still, it's the, for me, it's like the easiest way to create something. You chase after that. You have been doing, um, we've been working on musicals lately. And so uh, w w do you love musicals? Is You always have a place. I mean, obviously you must enjoy the work. You keep doing it. But And how is that different from writing plays? Because it's a, I love musicals. It's a world that I do not understand. It is, yeah. you know, it's one of those bucket list things, but it's, I don't get it. So tell me your wisdom on musicals and how they differ from uh, from plays. Yeah, so I get into theater because of musicals. Like I, the stuff that my mom was taking me to see when I was little was musicals. And then when I was in high school i started doing these shows and, and they led i was an actor first and the, but they led into doing this school musical and we did anything goes and we did i don't even remember what we did and then um so i was always I, that was always my 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 interest and like one of the shows that got me like really doing this as a profession was the musical crazy for you which is like this george gershwin musical and i was like i would go see that show among other shows but i i dressed the way that i'm dressed now and like this you know, hoodie and like big baggy jeans and whatever. And like, I was like hip hop dude, like trying to go in and like, um, you know, sing all these Gershwin songs. So I was super into that from the beginning. And then when I get to studying it, like, I don't, I don't, um, read music. Like I don't, I, I, I can't, I can't do that. So I was like, Oh, let me just like start writing plays. Um, because that's easier. And it's like sort of more, you know, you can control it on your own. So, musicals was always like in the back of my mind, the thing that I was, you know, super interested in. Um, although nobody like ever expects it because the work is not necessarily like the plays are not necessarily that. Although welcome to Arroyos is a hip hop musical. That's like filled with songs. It's filled with not original songs, but it's, it's sort of filled with songs. And then deity, we always talk about as a, as a fight musical. It's like, you know, the, the music, the story continues until the emotion gets too high to tell it in words. And then, first of all, it's all monologues. So the monologues are all kind of arias. And then, I mean, that's like August Wilson terminology. And then the fights are all still trying to tell story dramaturgically through the, the action. So, um, so my influences are definitely uh, musical influences. Um, and then I got lucky. I got my whole career is getting lucky. Um, I get lucky because why I got asked to work on a musical that I can't talk about that I've been working on for a really, really long time. Um, and I got brought in to like audition for it basically. And with the, the composer, um, who's a pop composer. And we had a conversation where I was able to talk both about like musicals and like hip hop and contemporary music and this composer's music. And I got the job through that. We're still working on that show, but through that, um, relationship, 
I developed a relationship with um, Michael Greif, who was the original director of Rent. And then Michael was directed while we were working on <clears throat> this other show that we're still working on that was supposed to open in September of this year. Um, and now who knows? Um, but uh, um, while we were working on that, Michael told me that he had been asked to direct the uh, Rent that was going to be on Fox. And, uh, you know, I was joking around. I was like, well, if you need anybody, if they need a writer, if they need a writer, if they need a writer. And then I got a call a couple months later that I got invited to work on that. And then through other relationships, I had worked with a director um, named Lear DeBestinay on a project. She was a friend of a friend, like whatever. I knew her through other ways. We worked on another project and a play of mine. And, um, and then she gave me a call a few years ago, I think right around the same time the Rent thing happened. And she was like, I'm working on a show with Disney um do you know the movie hercules would you be interested and so i got pulled into that so oh and before that i got i'm backing up before that i got pulled in oregon shakespeare festival who i had a relationship with through something i don't even remember how i knew some people at oregon shakespeare festival and they had a musical that had been written by some folks um by some hip hop artists and actors that were connected there. Rami's uh, Monsef was the main guy involved with that. Oh, I think maybe Rami's brought me in because he had done a production of Chad, whatever. It's like all these like weird tributaries and they had done a musical and they were, none of them were playwrights and they needed like some dramaturgical help. And so I got brought in to work on that. So, and that's called the unfortunates and that's up in, that was up out in, in, in Oregon and it's been done in San Francisco and we're hoping to sort of make it available um, to high schools and stuff now anyway. So it, it, it's like all these different things that are sort of flying by and the relationships sort of open you up into a bunch of places. But the musicals have always been the way that my brain sort of works in organizing stuff on stage anyway. Um, you know, you, you keep going and then at a certain point, like you dive into this weird theatrical device of people singing or elevating somehow. And that feels like art to me. That feels, that feels more, I feel, it feels really connected to what wrestling is in general. So it was always, I think musicals was always kind of where I wanted to, to land. That's amazing. I, oh my gosh. It's weird, well, right? Well, yeah. but, but what I heard, like the the word that stuck out to me is relationships, right? Yeah. I mean, that that really is how we um, continue to forge ahead and how we make connections and how we get brought into different projects. I, I think that's really important. Um, and the very last thing you said about wrestling made me think about your writing for GLOW. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so was it a relationship that you had, uh, um, made that brought you into that project? Kind of, it was, I think we shared an agent. I think Liz Flayhive and or Carly Mensch, who were the showrunners, the creators and showrunners of that. I think we shared an agent and then it was a show about wrestling. <laughs> like right. I get everything that's about wrestling. I get, you know, sort of a, a, a call or, or, or brought into, I mean, it was an interesting, that was an interesting situation because the same week that I got hired to work on that show, I got hired to work full-time at NYU. So it was always a little bit of like, oh, I'm going to go out and sort of help out. And, you know, um, the original plan, I was like, I don't know if I can do it, but maybe I can come in and consult a little bit. And then, um, and then the show, I don't know how familiar you are with the show, but the show actually shifted even in the few months that I was out there. Uh, the show shifted a little bit. Like I think that there was an idea coming in that there, there was, it was going to be a show about professional wrestling. And then 
early on, Liz and Carly were realized smartly that it was really a show about this group of women who came together. It was really about acting in some ways. It was about the, the demands. And that happens throughout any kind of process, right? It comes in, you right. think you're writing about something, and then you drill down and drill down and find out what it really, you know, what it really is. Um, so that at, at a certain point, it was very clear that it was like, it had gone, you know, the thing that I sort of brought to the table wasn't the huge part of what the show was ultimately going to be. I was always sort of leaving anyway to go back to NYU. So it's a little bit of a bummer that I didn't get to, to sort of do more on that. Um, but I always, I also always want to like give credit where credit is due in that Liz and Carly were very clear about what they were doing. And I think they, you know, they, they really rocked that show, especially when they got to bring in that cast. So it, it's, you know, kind of amazing. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, so. it's a fun show. So NYU. So yeah. what what do you teach there? Right now I teach right now this semester I'm teaching two courses on musicals. So it all really comes full circle. And it's because it's funny, even like teaching these courses, you know, you teach things and you're like, oh well, I, I sort of know how to do this, I sort of know how to do that. And the musicals courses, I'm like, oh yeah, I really know how to do this. Um I'm teaching one course. It's a writing, a musical writing course. And I, I don't know that I necessarily know how to do that completely, but we're figuring it out as we go. And um, it's all about collaboration. It's all about pushing people into different kinds of ways of, of thinking and working. You know, we have a lot of writers at NYU. This is in the dramatic writing department. Um, and I have graduate students and undergraduate students, but in both cases, you learn playwriting, TV and film or episodic and I forget what we call that now. We're changing sort of the, the the ways we talk about the buckets because the buckets are so different. A TV show can be anything. A film can be anything. Um, we just watched Coming to America on television last night. So, you know, it's a whole different uh, set of rules. But anyway, so all of our students go through all those different avenues. Um, but particularly in playwriting, it's so singular. The idea is so singular. You have an idea, you generate the idea, you execute it the way you want to execute it. You're the generative artist and the other artists who come in are interpretive artists and sort of help like solve that problem. Um, on the TV and film side, there's obviously more, especially the TV side, it's more collaboration, like going into a writer's room. It's more about taking other people's ideas, executing them, turning them into those things. So that's been a really nice thing to discover the, the the correlations between the different kinds of writing styles because musical writing is all collaboration and it's all you know working in teams and pairs and trios and getting um <clears throat> feedback and thoughts from a bunch of different directions so uh so that course has been really focused on on the collaborative act and pushing them to do things they didn't expect to be able to do and then i teach a course called contemporary broadway musical so it's just looking at broadway shows basically starting with Rent because like everything starts with Rent for me, um, Rent and Lion King, and then going up through Hamilton and Darevan Hansen. And uh, we started talking about Jacket a Little Pill this year and sort you know, stuff that's contemporary and on stage, um, Ain't Too Proud. So it's more of a survey course where we talk about contemporary shows, how they're written, um, how they're um, capitalized and the business ideas behind them with their audiences, all that kind of stuff. And it's super, super, super fun. Yeah. And we get to bring cool people in. Like the one of the, you know, the nightmares of Zoom, like you have people, you can't reach people and I can't talk to people. I can't climb on table. Like I usually climb on tables when I teach, and do all this like what? ridiculous stuff. Uh, well, cause I teach, I talk about, I, I, yeah, we talk about it. We talk about it. There's two different ways that I climb on tables, but I can't do that now. But the cool <laughs> thing is that I get to bring in, um, I get to bring people in. So like, Michael Greif came into class to talk to them about like rent and they're all just sitting there like, 
Oh, yeah. Eyes wide open, as I am, too, when we talk about this stuff and we're bringing in folks. I'm hoping like Jelani Aladdin, who is in Hercules like, and, and uh, was in the original cast of Frozen on Broadway, come in. I brought in Rona Siddiqui, who I'm collaborating with right now, who's a um, composer lyricist. And she basically just taught like a, a crash course in lyric writing um you know for for an hour and a half um so you get to bring in a bunch of folks so there's like these all these pros and cons about you know what you can do uh and it's super fun it makes me wonder uh when when the world opens up again i mean even though i i know think it may still look different but if teachers might not look at using zoom to bring artists in that are that aren't in their location and can't easily um attend like even if you were teaching in a live classroom with students you could zoom in you know i didn't even know what zoom was until all this happened you know so it's funny i was looking at uh you know your facebook things pop up and there was something from like two or three years ago where i think we were auditioning somebody for a show over skype and I wrote like my Facebook memory was like, oh, my God, this is the future. Like, you know, this is such a game changer. Or I sat in on a rehearsal. That's probably what it was. I probably sat in on a rehearsal in Oregon from, you know, from from home. Little did we know, right? Little like everything is really happening right now. The future. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I think it'll definitely continue. I think it, I think not just in teaching, like I think that we've we've developed a new set of tools that's really powerful. And it only makes sense to figure out how to continue to use them. Like rehearsing certain shows over Zoom makes all the sense in the world. When we did, you know, the football reading, um, we had a cast. We had cast members in New York, LA, Philadelphia, and Sydney. Um, and the fact that we could work with this performer in Sydney, Australia, Maureen Sebastian, who's like one of the my favorite new play development actors. Um, and she's a mom and, you know, the fact that I could get her for this weird, you know, this weird reading, I wouldn't have gotten her in person under any circumstance, let alone the fact that she's in, <laughs> in Sydney. So, and there's no lag. I mean, it's really hard for musicals, like musicals, like it, it seem to not actually be functional, uh, via zoom, but it does, but for, for plays, it's going to be, you know, long lasting. And then I think a lot about <clears throat> how do these, how are recordings going to extend the life of shows? So what happens in small theater companies, you know, if a show in San Diego runs for a few weeks and then in the last week of its run, you say, we're going to bring in three cameras. We're going to do a high quality recording of it. And we're going to, you know, if we get approvals from all the unions and everybody that we're allowed to to do, we're going to put it up online for two weeks um, and expose our work in this small 95 seat theater to Mm -hmm. thousands of people all over the world. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we try to do that? Well, I think that um, was it PBS that was doing something like that because they did uh, record at San Diego Rep. It was Honky, I think, that they recorded. Oh, yeah. 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 And and then did a, a viewing of that. I mean, that was pre-pandemic, of course. But yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I'm sure. I wonder that what that will look like as far as residuals for playwrights and everybody else. <laughs> Well, that's, you know, that's the, yeah. the, the work that I'm doing with the Dramatist Guild. Um, we started in April of last year, we started a new media committee to exactly think about that, because I think it was the the, the playwright Warren Light was, was talking about how, you know, historically, every time a new technology gets introduced to the world of dramatic performance, 
the writers lose some power and lose some financial power. So whether it was television or cable or streaming or whatever, every time it things get democratized a little bit, but it also gets pulled further and further away from, from the artist. So there's lots of concerns right now that we have and lots of work that we're trying to do to make sure that everybody, not just about financial compensation, because honestly, not a lot of people are making money from this kind of work, but who controls the work? Do you give away your rights by putting stuff online? Do you lose the opportunity to have a production in New York City because your work has been digitally produced mm -hmm. in six different places already and people have seen it? Our hope is that it, that one doesn't interfere with the other. Mm -hmm. um, you know, We think it's a distribution source rather than a, a, an artistic creation. I mean, there's, an, there's a space to create things online, but just because you wrote a play and did it on Zoom doesn't mean that you've given away sort of like your theatrical ownership or rights to it, you should still continue to be able to develop that. So um, it's messy and it's complicated, but it's, it, you know, it, there's no putting the, the lid back on, you know, that, that, that situation. What's that phrase? I don't even know the phrase. I butchered it. Putting the lid back on the pot, the genie, the, <laughs> yeah, the genie on the bottle, maybe. Genie in the bottle. Yeah, maybe the is genie back on cork. Put the cork back on the genie. You can't right. suffocate the genie. So now we are at the point where we are doing our asking for a friend segment where we ask a question. Uh -huh. um, and again, normally these que these questions have be have been gross lately. So we're going to spare you the gross one. Yeah, like, I'm the one really who usually gross. brings the gross ones. Gross? So, yeah. No. Ugh. Toenail clipping gross. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, gross. gross. Okay, so we're not going to do that. Okay. Um, asking for a friend. If you could... I actually wrote it down, Tori. Look at it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, okay. If you could work with any actor... Who is no longer with us? So a, a dead actor. Uh, who would it be? Uh, who would you want to write for? It's. I'm gonna call this the resurrection question. Oh, and it, man. and it can be and it can be an actor in it like at at their prime, any period of their life because you know like. Oh man, that's such a good question. Um, as soon as I hang up, I'm gonna think of ten of them. Uh, everybody that I'm thinking of is alive, which is good. I'm happy for them. <laughs> um, uh, why am I blanking? Like my mind goes to Marlon Brando, but that's not the answer. Um, Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr. That's a oh. good answer. Sammy Davis Jr. is so shockingly talented. Like I'm saying such an obvious thing. And there are people, you know, like my, my dad's generation is like, of course you idiot. But like, I went back and watched some Sammy Davis Jr. stuff and was just like so mesmerized and thinking about all of the things that come with, you know, not just him, but every like jazz singers of that time and performers of the time, but what it meant to be that tiny little uh, Jewish African-American dude with one eye who was the coolest human being on the planet and who like, hung with those guys like with you know that it was like sinatra and sinatra, martin and that, yeah. and that i mean the fact that frank sinatra respected that this dude was the coolest person like you know what i mean like that's that shot i mean I, we just i'm thinking of that too because we just watched um i had my students watch the guys and dolls movie um the other day and i, I forgot how not fun that movie is um and how miscast it is but um but Frank Sinatra is super cool and complicated and messy in so many ways. But yeah, Sammy Davis Jr. for sure. There any performance of him singing Mr. Bojangles in in you know like on television is 
everyone should watch it. Coolest thing in the world. Is there a, a specific young or old Sammy Davis, or does it matter? You'll take uh, him probably together. older. Pro- I would imagine older. I would imagine. You know, it's like. Yeah, I always I always talk about like coolness and I always think about like an old um you know 75-year-old Dominican man outside of a bodega like dancing merengue or dancing like and there's something about like you know there's something about like fast merengue dancers who are like you know young dancers who are like so fast and then like the older dudes who are just like they take their time and they own every second of it and I think I, I imagine that same kind of thing just magnifies i feel really good about this i never have good answers for the like answer something quickly but i feel good about this one so advice to someone who wants to start writing their first play not necessarily somebody that wants to you know when i grew up i want to be a playwright but just somebody who's who's interested in in telling their story in in this form um what what advice would you give a new playwright a few things first like don't expect financial remuneration for it like i think it's 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 there are better ways if you're interested in like taking a story and 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 potentially seeing money from it someday they're just different you could do it other ways um so that's that's the first thing i would sort of like macro title it the second thing i would probably say is like don't waste the ideas that you have on social media um i would say hold on to them especially things that make you angry I would say like bottle them up and like, you know, social media becomes like a lot of things, a lot of bad things um, mostly, but it also becomes, you know, for your health and well-being, some of what's good about it is it's like a little safety valve and a pressure valve. And you can like let off, like, I'm really stressed about this thing, or I really hate this idea. And I can just say that I hate it. And then I'm, you know, I feel a little bit better. Um, But I think being an artist, like you kind of have to, wallow in it a little and, and 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 get stuck in it a little bit and try to find ways out of it and try to find the other side and try to find the arguments against so i would say if you really wanted to put it into something don't talk about it to other people and don't talk about the things the ideas that you're fighting with um for like you know social media likes or whatever i would say like grapple with it and, and sit with it and then you know what I tell my students is like, I'm going to do this and, and you can't see it here. Um, but I, I, they're chasing after the churn. I tell them the churn is the thing that is whatever is starting to formulate in your head. As I say this right now, without me even telling you what the idea is, you already have a thought that you're thinking about, that you're always thinking about. You get in the shower and you can't stop thinking about it. You wake up in the morning and it's one of the first handful of things you're thinking about. Um, that's what you want to write about because it's unique to you and it's passionate. It's something that inspires passion in you. So I, I think like chasing after that is is what really good stuff comes out of, especially a first play, especially a first piece. Like the the there's always that idea of like, you know, musicians have, you know, it takes it takes a musician 25 years to write their first album. And then the second album, you know, you have six months or nine months, it's, it's a shorter period of time, but you have your whole life to pour into like that first thing that you're writing. So think about all the different ideas, how they connect and um and then the last thing is just like the more fearless you can be about it, the better, like the more like unafraid of what people are going to think or what people are going to, you're both on the qualitative level and on the level of like the ideas that you're formulating. It's hard, especially now. I think there are like a lot of people will, you know, critique you or criticize you, but it's also part of why I would say don't talk about it too much because people can shut you down very quickly 
you know, I'm writing a play about professional wrestling and like geopolitics. Somebody's going to come and say like, that doesn't make any sense. That'll never work. Nobody wants to see that. Yeah. But you sit with it, you fight it, you sit with it, you fight <laughs> it, you make the thing. And then once you've got it far enough, it doesn't have to be complete. But once you've got it far enough that your idea is actually formulated and they can see what the thing is and you can speak about it on more complicated levels, you know, the better, the better you are. Yes. I, I, <laughs> Mabel, didn't we just talk about that? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that is, that is that such is great advice. Great advice, advice, not just for playwrights, for people in general, especially the social media thing. That's oh like, gosh. that is just something that we need to understand. I was having a conversation with John about this. It's like, we need to understand why these things, why, yes, let it in <laughs> you. Yeah. Let's sit with it. And yes, and I process just, it. And the democratization of storytelling is fantastic. Like the idea that anybody can get their story out in a million ways right now is amazing. And not just social media, like you can make it, you can film it, you can record it, you can do a podcast, like you can do a million things, but like you still have to make it. <laughs> like don't, right. don't get out in front of your skis. Like don't start like telling the world about it till it exists. Yeah, yeah, I think it's that knee jerk reaction, right? That, oh, I've got this thing and it bothers me and I'm going to post about it. And then, and then what? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. That's fantastic advice, Chris. Thank you so much for that. Um, and one final thing. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have a writing prompt for our listeners? I have a zillion probably, but like, um, I have like a whole exercise that I won't do. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, um, one of the things I like to do is have, you can do it with a character who you've written already or a character you're working on or yourself, whoever, you figure out who it is. Um, but you write an apology to someone, write a monologue of apology without saying, you can't say apologize, you can't say thank you, you can't say like any of the like typical things. People always try to cheat and they're like, I realize, you know, but like figuring out like a way to write, write an apology that doesn't actually, you know, use any of that language. And then like the step beyond that is like to write an apology. Wait, now I'm trying to think cause I'm combining two different exercises, but like to write in a, uh, can I actually do this one? I don't know if I can actually do this one. The, 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 one of the exercises that I always do is more complicated than this, but basically I have somebody take on the role of someone in their life who they love, who disagrees with them on a topic and write a monologue explaining, trying to convince them why they're wrong about the idea. You know what I mean? So if it's like Mabel trying to convince me that I should stop talking, um, I should I would write that monologue as Mabel and then try to make the argument that actually convinces me to change my mind and stop talking. And it's super hard. <laughs> it's really, really, really hard, but I, I, I love that. That is a great exercise. It's putting yourself into the other person's shoes. And then that becomes like this other, like, I mean, so much of my training comes out of education and education on a high school level and middle school level. But so much of it is about building empathy. And like yes. that question of like, how do you build empathy? Well, you build empathy in some ways by really understanding what the other person is trying to say and what their argument is and making an argument. and. Um, and it, the, the benefit is it also helps you discover voice. It helps you discover a zillion kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Chris, do you have anything? I know, I know you always have a million things that you can't talk about. Is there any 
anything that you can talk about that you want to plug where people can find you is football 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 ever going to resurface or was that a one yeah no something something will happen it's um it's up for a bunch of stuff this year and it was a finalist or semi-finalist i think a finalist for the o'neill last year so theoretically we might go work on it there um we might do it online you know we'll figure out there'll be a life for that um at some point there's always hope that we'll do chad deity again somewhere i mean there's always there's there's usually three or four productions of that show a year um i don't know what's going to happen now like as people come back are they going to want to do a a show where you know the dudes are picking each other up and breathing on each other and spinning on each other um but um but there's always versions of that and working on new things for that uh like i said there's musical that i can't talk about that hopefully will be in the next year or so um there's another musical that I'm working on at Northwestern uh, this summer about basketball because I always write about sports. So, you know, it's sort of ongoing doing a monologue for 24 hour plays. I just, I worked with the 24 hour plays for probably almost 10 years now. I get an email from them probably once a month. They're like, do you want to write another one? I think I've done five. What is it called? Vi- viral monologues, viral monologues. So I've done, I think five this, uh, this last year. We'll do a new one in a couple of weeks. Chris. You need to write a play about roller derby. You know, it's funny that you say that because I sort of almost did at some point. Roller derby is probably not my story to tell. There's a great play about roller derby out already. I think Gina Femia wrote a play about roller derby. So some people have done it, but roller derby is awesome. Corey is a a former... What did we decide you were called? Roller derbyite? Derby rollerina? (laughs) What was your name? Did you have a cool Uh name? Yeah, Kaibosh. <laughs> of course. What was Ka- it? Kaibosh. Kaibosh. It's pretty good. Yeah. The best roller derby name I ever heard was Katarina Hit. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just, it floored me. I was so in love. <laughs> There's so and she was like, she was a, in Minneapolis. She was in Minneapolis. She was a really, you know, like sometimes you watch roller derby and it's like, there's like a bunch of people who are like, can kind of skate and can kind of, you know, she was like clearly like an ice skater. Oh, she yeah. was like, she could like do all this, like create, she was like weaving in and out. Mm-hmm. You have the best name. I kind of love you. Aptly named. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Chris, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're so excited for all the things to come. It, it really was a pleasure. And I was trying hard not to fangirl out. So this is so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh my gosh. That was fantastic. I learned so much and really just enjoyed that doesn't it make you love sports plays aren't you excited about sports plays i'm excited about sports plays and i think you know why without saying why i don't want to give anything away but something is a brewing on the in the hey hey playwright universe yes 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 you know here's what's interesting though the plays aren't really about sports they never are toys. I know, but they that's what are. I'm saying. So do I love them? Yes, of course. You know, that just um, having it in that world, it just heightens it and enriches it and makes it so, so interesting. Yes. I feel like maybe, maybe though, if people choose to follow us on Instagram or on our Facebook page, they might actually get some hints about what might be coming up. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. 
Uh, yeah, that is a possibility. Yeah. So... That sounded super snarky. I did not mean for it to sound that way. So listen, what I'm trying to say is if you are enjoying what you hear, then please follow us on Instagram, uh, like us on Facebook, and take the time, if you could, on wherever you listen to your podcast to give us a rating and a review. It really does help to kind of boost our visibility um, because we would love to continue to bring the great programming that we've brought to you so far I don't know why I'm saying that. We don't have any sponsors. I feel like I feel like like that you ripped that off from like a PBS. um, Oh my gosh! PBS fundraising campaign. I think I may have not. You totally did. It was like (gasps) sorry. How dare you? Yeah, but you know what? Okay, here's what's funny. We don't have any sponsors. This is all. (laughs) This is all self promotion. Okay. We don't need no sponsors. That is not I true. That. I that is that. not true. That. <laughs> that is not true. We do need sponsors. But we we sure are enjoying this and we appreciate all of you for listening. And we are looking for a name for our book club because that's kind of generic. So if you have an idea for our book club name, then please, we invite you to go to our website, send us a note through the contact form there with your suggestion, or, you know, go up to Instagram or Facebook and post something up there. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Tori, I'm going to do my quote. Yes. That is so annoying for you. I know you hate it. Bastion, give me a name. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. And if you know where... If you know what she is quoting, <laughs> I invite you to also. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll win one million Hey Playwright books. What does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I my kid yesterday, so he's on spring break, mm-hmm. and he started writing a speech that's due when he gets back to school, like without me telling him anything, anything at all. Like, just all on his own. He took the initiative and started working on this project and i told him oh my gosh you just earned a million brownie points he's like oh, a million brownie points what does that mean what do i get like you cannot put a price tag on brownie points oh yes you can tell him yes <laughs> you can <laughs> like it's just just know a million brownie points wow yeah that is a lot of brownie points yeah it was pretty special though i was very very he did a lot of work i was very impressed that's super cool yeah, yeah. And, and it's writing you know so like of course <sighs> yeah that he oh, he knows i was he gonna knows. say he knows yeah. where to get you well you know i told you my thing from now on if my kiddo does something that is no bueno i have a book, a journal, and from now on, it is, you need to write an essay on that. So three page, no, it's four page essay on respect. And you know what? It was good. That is not a punishment, Tori. I would be like, yes, I would love to write. I would love to write an essay that my mother would read. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but you are not my daughter. Okay. (laughs) These are my, these are, these are my issues coming forth. Mother just read something. 
Okay, so listen, Mabel, I will totally assign you some. <laughs> I will give you some assignments and I will read them. Oh my goodness. Thank yeah. you, Tori. You are you're welcome. After you no, finish I... your play. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, no, I say I need I need you to save your eyeballs for when you when you have to read my script. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, same here. All right. I don't want to exhaust that. All right. Well, uh, you know what? I'm going to say what? to our listeners, there is a hint about our next guest in this episode that you just listened to. So go back and listen to it again and mm-hmm. see if you can pick it up. Uh, anything else? No, we're no, good. I think we're good. Yeah. All right. All right. Until next time. Until next time. All right, everybody. You join us. Jump in this lake. Ocean. Yes. Big body of End water. Of play. Yes. April. April. Make it about make it about you. Make it about your play. Make it about finishing. That's my that's my wrestling uh moment. Right. In the spirit of Chad Deity. Awesome. Alright. Goodbye. Goodbye.